So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Sacred Space in West Limit 102. My name is John Keeley. Welcome again, and this is the 17th Sunday in Ordinary Time. It's the 29th of July. And help me to present the programme as usual, Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are you keeping? I'm good. Thanks a lot for joining me again, Shane. And, of course, welcome again to those people who listen to us every week, especially those people who are lonely and struggling and housebound and have got health problems and maybe they're waiting on tests or maybe they're worried about something in their lives. We hope that there's something within this programme that will help you to, to, to give you some hope and give you some solace. Of course, this programme, as usual, is uh, presented, is produced here in our Come and See studio here in Ada County Limerick. And we, of course, can be contacted by email, and that's on sacredspace102 at gmail.com. Or you can text us on 087-6088-667. That's 087-6088-667. Text us about anything, about a question, maybe a comment about the programme, maybe a request for music. Maybe you've got an idea of someone who we should interview on the programme. Please give us a shout again, 087-6088-667 or sacredspace102 at gmail.com. Of course, this programme is repeated again tonight at 11pm. And a podcast of this programme and previous programmes is available on our blog, which is www.sacredspace102.blogspot.com. And of course, it's also available on iTunes by searching Come and See. Come and see inspirations. So Shane, um, usually at this part of the programme, uh, shares some thoughts or some celestial guides for the week. Uh, guides who are going to accompany us from a spiritual point of view during the week. Shane, who have you got for us this week? Yeah, no problem, John. So we have a couple of celestial guides uh, this week. There's some heavy hitters on the calendar for those that are following it. So first things first, for those that are praying the Psalter, we're on week one. And it is the 17th week in Ordinary Time. So to the Monday is the 30th of July, and it will be the feast day of St. Saint Peter Chrysologus. Now, Peter Chrysologus is, is an interesting guy. He, the Chrysologist part means golden word, and he was a, re- a renowned uh, preacher. He was an adult convert to Christianity, was ordained deacon, priest, and bishop, and he was born in Italy around 406, and he died on the 2nd of December in 450. He's well, he, even though he lived so long ago, 176 of his sermons have survived down to the present day. And he has given wonderful sermons on things like the Incarnation, the Creed, the role of Mary and John the Baptist in the plan of salvation. And he was, he's, he's also known as a doctor of the church. So that's Peter Chrysologus on Monday. Then on Tuesday, we have a fairly heavy hitter. It's Ignatius of Loyola. And of course, Ignatius of Loyola has gone up in prominence, of course, because Ignatius was the founder of the Jesuits, and of course Pope Francis is a former Jesuit. So Ignatius' story is well known. He was of Spanish nobility, youngest to 12, educated at the royal court, became a soldier, was injured, and while he was rehabilitating and recovering from his injuries, he had a conversion and by reading the life of Christ and of the saints, uh, which changed him. So then he undertook a vow of chastity, gave up his sword, and he set off uh, for the Holy Land and ended up in Rome, uh, studied theology in various different places, and eventually, of course, founded the organization that we know as the Jesuits. And his great theme, of course, is the service of God and God's greater glory. And, of course, the other thing, of course, that the Jesuits are famous for is, of course, seeing God in, every, in everything. Ignatius, of course, is also famous for giving us what's called Ignatius spirituality, Ignatian spirituality, 
and in particular the use of the eczema uh, at the end of every day. Um, and, it's, uh, and of course the spiritual exercises which uh, the Jesuits promote to down to this day. Then on... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a little word or two on that examine uh, prayer or exercise that they have at the end of a day. Maybe people might be interested. In it. Just just briefly, the, idea, the whole idea is... Um, it's, it's, it's the idea, I suppose, John, I'm, I'm not an expert about, no, no. by any manner of means. Uh, the idea is it's an idea... It's the idea of sitting down at the eggs at the end of the day and reflecting yeah. on the day that you've had, following particular steps. So and and seeking where did you encounter God tr- during the day, yeah. and yeah. asking kind of so it's kind of you 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 stop for a moment, you bring yourself into the presence of God, and then you kind of ask yourselves kind of a number of, of things. So you 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 kind of give thanks for where you encountered God during the day. You reviewed the day where maybe things you know didn't go quite yeah. according to plan mm, and mm, faced mm, your mm. shortcomings. You look ahead to the day to come and seek, I suppose, where God can uh, influence us, and then you close it out with a prayer. So that's that's kind of the methodology of it, and, and which which the Jesuits teach. So then back to the celestial guides, John. Wednesday is the first of August, and it's the feast day of Saint Alphonsus Liguri. Now, Alphonsus Liguri, of course, is the founder of the Redemptorist Congregation. So we say happy feast day to the Redemptorists at Mount St. Alphonsus. He was a great teacher on moral theology and the spiritual life, which was something very much associated with the Redemptorists up to recent times. Um, and he's remembered uh, very much as a popular preacher and an influential writer of theology. And he died in 1787 of natural causes. Then on the 2nd of August, we have the feast day. Now, this is an interesting one. Uh, it's the feast day of Our Lady of the Angels, and it's a, it's a feast day that's associated with Costa Rica, because the, the the image of Our Lady of the Angels is only about three inches high, John, and it's carved on dark stone, and she has a very round, sweet face, um, and carries the Christ Child on her left arm. And what happened was the the little the little statuette was discovered in 1635, the feast of the Holy Angels, and and um, a poor woman discovered this small image of the Virgin sitting beside the footpath in, near Costa Rica, in Costa Rica. She took it home to her, but it disappeared and was rediscovered at the same place. And this happened a number of times. And then people eventually got the idea Our Lady wanted a chapel built on that spot. And the shrine soon became quite a point of pilgrimage. And it, well, the, the image was solemnly crowned in 1926. And uh, in 1935, Pius XI declared the shrine a basilica. Uh, so that's the, our, the la- feast of Our Lady of the Angels. Now, at the same time, it is also what's called uh, the, what's available is the indulgence of Saint Mary of the Portolunca. Now, this is uh, a, fe- a, a, a feast day very much associated for the holy souls. And if a person, uh, you know, uh, goes to confession, recites the creed, the Our Father, and receives Holy Communion and a prayer for the Pope's intentions. Um, you can you can uh, obtain that indulgence on that particular day. Then Friday, the third of August. Now Friday, as it's the third of August, it's the first Friday of the month. So for those obtaining or, or maintaining that devotion, first Friday next week is the first Friday. And on the Irish calendar, it's the feast day of Saint Senoch of Clonard. Uh, he's known as one of the twelve apostles of Ireland. Educated at the school of Clonard, spiritual student of Saint Finian, and he was an extreme ascetic who lived a life of penance and self-denial. 
and he succeeded Finian as abbot of Clonard, and he died sometime in the 6th century. We're not sure exactly of the date. Then on the 4th of August, which is the first Saturday for those keeping that particular devotion, we have the feast day of St. John Vianney. And of course, John Vianney is the patron saint of parish priests, or priests in general, a man who struggled to be ordained priest because he wasn't very good at the books, spent very much associated with the confessional and hearing people's confessions, and also um, though uh, spending time at the sacrament and attending to the sick. And, of course, associated with the village of Ars. He was a curé of Ars in France. And he died in uh, 1859, natural causes. And there's a basilica built with him, to, his, to him in, in Ars at this stage. In, at this stage. And um, he was, he's famous for being 40 years parish priest of that village in France. Then, of course, as it is the beginning of the month, we also just uh, remind people of the Pope's intentions. So if you want to pray for the Pope's intentions another devotion that many people have. And uh, obviously, because August is going to be the month of the World Meeting of Families, Pope Francis focuses that any decisions of economists and politicians may protect the family as one of the treasures of humanity. So that the decisions of economists and politicians may protect the family as one of the treasures of humanity. And of course, as we often family is the building block of society rather than Thatcher tried just all those years ago. So, John, that's what we have in terms of the Celestial and for this week. Have you any notices? Thank you, Shane. Just I want to remind people again, uh, the Dominican Church will be hosting the relics of St. Therese of Lisieux and her parents, Saints Louis and Zilly Martin. And Saturday the 18th of August, beginning with 1 p.m. Mass, Blessing of the Roses, uh, Veneration of Relics and Reflections by the Dominicans will follow with Sung Vespers concluding the event at 5pm. So remind people again, it's the Saturday before the World Meeting the Families event in Dublin. It's on Saturday the 18th of August, beginning in the Dominican Church at 1pm. That's the hosting of the relics of St. Therese of Lisieux and her parents, St. Louis and Zelie Martin. Blessing of Roses, veneration of relics and reflections by the Dominicans will follow. Sung Vespers concluding the event at 5pm. So now we go for our first bit of music. Before that, there's a spirit of communion prayer that we always try to pray, especially for those people who couldn't get to Mass this morning and receive Jesus in Holy Communion. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul, since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. So now we go for our first bit of music, and this one it's um, from Liam, Ort- Liam Lawton's um, album Another World, and this one is entitled Allelu. So let's hear this.
And good morning, listeners, and welcome back to part two of Sacred Space 102 on West Limerick 102 FM. And this morning, we're delighted to welcome back onto the program uh, a special guest, Father Eamon Fitzgibbon. And for regular listeners of the program, they, of course, will be familiar because Father Eamon has been on with us quite a number of times before. But this morning, he joins us in his new capacity as the director of the Irish Institute for Pastoral Studies at Mary Macca College. Father Eamon, you're most welcome to the program. Thanks, Shane. Good morning. How are you? Ah, not too bad, not at all. Not too bad. Now, tell us, you've taken up a posting at the IIPS in, uh, in Mary Macclus. Can you tell us a small bit about what is the, Institute, the Irish Institute for Pastoral Studies? Sure, Shane. Yeah, well, back in 2016, um, St. Patrick's College in Thurlis was incorporated into Mary Macclus College. St. Patrick's College was formerly the seminary and then it was a third-level college based in Thurles. Now it's a second campus of Mary Immaculate College, and as part of that agreement, when that incorporation took place, part of the agreement was that an institute for pastoral studies would be established at the campus in Thurles. And I suppose really what we're about is uh, looking at pastoral renewal, pastoral development, providing programs and courses, summer schools, conferences, Anything that would assist, really, I suppose, in terms of developing our our knowledge and our understanding of pastoral theology, uh, the pastoral life of the church. So that's really what I'm about now. That's what I'm at at the moment. <laughs> I'm continuing to live in Limerick, of course. I'm, I'm commuting up and down to Thurles. I'm still in, in Limerick, living here in Patrick's well. So uh, that's that's important to state. <laughs> that you haven't you haven't abandoned us in the diocese, <laughs> which is which is always good to know. I'm not waving the blue and gold yet, and if I am, it's the blue and gold of Patrick's well. So oh, very good. Green and white for today, anyway. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. So one of the reasons, Eamon, we uh, we asked you to come on this morning, or we invited you on this morning, is of course that um, is to promote the, the 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 institute, but also I suppose to people some upcoming events that the the, pastoral, the the institute is going to be should be hosting. And one of the ones in particular, I suppose, that we wanted to share with people this morning is one that's actually coming up at the end of August. Now, your timing, I have to say, Eamon, is absolutely beautiful because I'm noticing it's just after the World Meeting of Families. Yeah. And it's, it's the 28th and it's the 29th of August. And I love, I love the title. It's called The Future of the Irish Parish. And then the, the, sub, the subline is the parish is not an outdated institution. Lessons from around the world. And to me, actually, it's, it's, it's a very unusual uh, and hope-filled top, t- title, Eamon, for a conference. Because I suppose the perspective or the impression would be that particularly when it comes to parish in the context of church life, maybe in some ways it's, um, if you like, a dying institution. Yeah. I suppose, first of all, just to pick up on your point about the, the timing, uh, the timing, it's, you, you said it's a beautiful timing, but it's a challenge as well, because obviously um, the World Meeting of Families event takes place the week before, literally the previous Sunday. We're on Tuesday and Wednesday with our conference. The previous Sunday is the, the Papal Mass in the Phoenix Park. So there will be a lot of events taking place in Dublin. Um, so a lot of people were wondering why are we coming in with a conference two days after that event? Would people not have had their fill? But I suppose really the, the reason for the timing, Shane, is that there will be quite a number of people in the country who we are hoping would present at this conference when we were planning it. And we've been very fortunate. We have 
the finest of speakers from around the world. And that's why one of the subtitles is Lessons from Around the World, um, the Future of the Irish Parish, Lessons from Around the World. And also you quoted the other subline there with the parish is not, not an outdated institution. That is something that Pope Francis said in that document, Evangelii Gaudium. And I think that is hope-filled. And Pope Francis is saying that um, there, there is hope for parishes, there is life in parishes. I think as well we acknowledge in Ireland now there are huge challenges as well for mm. parish life and the way in which parish finds expression and we give expression to it. So we're, we're really, I suppose, looking at that challenge and trying to see how can we respond. The other thing as well I think that's interesting is I imagine, and I may be wrong, but I imagine there will be a significant bounce coming from the World Meeting of Families event. Like it was particularly interesting that 500,000 people, half a million people, snapped up the tickets for the Papal Mass in the Phoenix Park in a week or so. And I think that's really interesting. I mean, some people will dismiss it and they'll say, well, it's an event that people just want to go along to. But there's something going on. There's something happening. And I think Pope Francis is the kind of personality and the kind of, of leader in the church at the moment. I have no doubt that the people will be inspired and there will be, as I say, a balance. Now, can we, can we seize that opportunity? Can we go with that? Can we do something with that momentum? And I suppose that's really what I'm hoping that this conference might, might assist with. One of the things, Eamon, I, I, uh, you know, that bounce and, and that, 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 that bounce and that enthusiasm was actually something that struck me looking at, um, at the outline of the conference. But I suppose one of the other things that struck me about it was the fact is this focus from lessons from around the world. Now, as someone like myself who has lived overseas and has had to participate in parishes and communities outside of Ireland and has had different experiences in that regard, it's always something I'm curious when I go home again to Ireland to see kind of the differences we have in our understanding of what parish means. But also, I suppose, in, for this conference is the fact that we're, 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 we're drawing on experiences from different countries as to give us ideas in how to reformulate or reintegrate or how to re-explore what it is to have to be parish in Ireland. Because I think it's fair to say that if you like the model of parish, the delivery of the sacraments, with the focus on the delivery of the sacraments more than anything else, uh, from a church perspective in particular, is is probably uh, an outdated approach to parish life at this stage. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, I suppose parish in Ireland, it, it is a very strong um, word. It has very strong meaning for us. Many of us get our identity from parish. Um, we talk about the pride in the parish and the pride of place. And our, our, what, which parish are you from? We say we don't say where do you come from. We often say what parish are you living in. Uh, was a lot of that is the link to the GA too. To be honest, we talk about the parish rule and mm. local clubs and GA clubs that were embedded into the life of the parish. So parish had a very particular meaning in Ireland. It had a very particular expression as well. And I think you're right. I think very often um, that was tied into delivery of sacraments and then um, of necessity that was tied into the priests in the parish. We often heard before that like, we have a great parish and often what people meant by that was we have a great priest uh, working in our parish who brings a lot of life and enthusiasm. But we all know that that's that's not sustainable. That's that's changing very rapidly and will change uh, in our time and in the coming years. There simply won't be enough priests to staff all the parishes. We have 60 parishes in our diocese. 
I mean, there are currently nine or ten parishes without a resident priest. So we have to find new ways of expressing parish and what does it mean to be parish. And I think, I think we need to maybe take on board a lot of what Pope Francis is saying about parish. He says it's not an outdated institution, but he also says it needs to be flexible, it needs to be able to adapt, it needs to be creative, but it needs to be connected with people. Otherwise, it just becomes something very sterile. So we need to find ways in which we can do that. And even John Paul, going back a number of years, uh, John Paul said that the parish is not primarily a structure or a building or an institution. It is a community. And I think that's the challenge for us in Ireland now, is to find a way of giving expression to parish that it is actually about a community of people, a community of disciples, people living out their faith. And that's a challenge, no doubt. And you're right, Shane, we are looking uh, to the experience literally around the world because um, our keynote speaker is coming from the the other end of the world, from uh, Wellington in New Zealand, Cardinal John Dew. He'll be in Ireland for the World Meeting of Families. He's going to be with us at our conference and he will speak about his experience in Wellington, New Zealand, where they face many of the challenges that we are facing now. They faced them 20 years ago. He was very involved in developing um, a whole program for the training of lay catechists, lay pastoral workers, lay ministry. And I think he'll have an awful lot to say that will be of great benefit and of great interest to us. Uh, we also have a bishop who worked in South Africa, in the Diocese of Alawal in South Africa, he is himself a native of Germany, Bishop Michael Westenberg, and he will be speaking to us of how they responded in South Africa to their particular challenges and how they tried to give parish and local church expression in, in, in their context. We have a lady, Margaret Lavin, a theologian who has written some fine pieces on lay ministry and um, ministry today and the challenges uh, that are, are present. And she is going to speak of her context, the Canadian context. She she works and teaches in Toronto. And finally, then, we have a priest coming from Liverpool in the UK. And they've done some very interesting things there around parishes coming together and developing a model of team ministry, which, and at the outset of, of our interview, you mentioned that I was involved in the Synod in Limerick. And one of the things we committed to out of that synod was developing team ministry in our diocese and we're really trying to progress that now and to move that forward. So I think it'll be beneficial to hear um, how has that worked out elsewhere. All of that, of course, uh, all of those experiences from all around the world, they need to be, if you like, sifted through by the people who will be at the conference. I mean, do they have something to say to us? Are they relevant to our reality? Can we apply them? So we're very fortunate to have Martin Kennedy and Jesse Rogers. They both worked with us during the three days of the Synod. But they will help people to sift through what they're hearing and say, okay, are there lessons here for us? What does this say to our reality? Is it relevant? What pieces can we take from this and apply to our own situation? And I think that's key because sometimes when we go, as you know yourself, Shane, we can often go to conferences or we can go to seminars or lectures we can hear wonderful talks and come away and say, God, that was a great talk. Well, what's the impact afterwards? What happens afterwards? Is there any real change? So we're, we're determined that this won't be just a series of talks from around the world, that there'll be a way in which those who participate can apply the learnings and try and discern ways in which we can take what we've heard, 
look at our own reality and move towards some kind of action which will, will help us to be a parish into the future. I, I, I looking at the brochure Raymond, that was um, put out for, for the conference, I have to say, looking at the speakers, um, some of their areas of experience really caught my eye. So, for example, um, Bishop Michael Wustenberg, uh, the man coming from uh, South, South Africa, what caught my eye with him was his experience working with small Christian communities. Something, I suppose, that wouldn't be familiar to many people in Ireland, but for those that would have worked overseas in African context or in a South American context in particular, uh, that would be something that would be very familiar to them in terms of how you look at parishes, but even within the parishes, you go down even into smaller communities again, uh, you know, communities within communities, which actually I think is one of the, the one of the, the the titles of the talks uh, being given uh, as well, which is the title of the talk rather that uh, Bishop Michael is given. Um, the other one that caught my eye there was uh, Margaret Lavin's title. Uh, it's called Rights and Responsibilities. The role of the clergy and the laity in the Catholic Church, and I suppose if people were looking at that, you'd be kind of wondering, well, any idea what she's going to talk about with that one? Um, yeah, Margaret has written a wonderful book called Theology for Ministry, and she, in that book, really explores the whole explosion of lay ministries that has happened in the last uh, 50 years since Vatican II, and how lay people are called to ministry and how that ministry finds a expression in the church today and how we need to be creative around that and how we need to be uh, responsive but also responsible and that we all have a responsibility to ensure that everybody has the opportunity to give their their right their god-given right at baptism full expression so that's um that's really i suppose what what margaret will be teasing with out with us and i think as you say it is an interesting title she talks about the role of the clergy and the role of the laity so she's mm. She's um, bringing those two into dialogue, and I think that's something that, that is critical at the moment. It's really, really important for all of us, for mm. priests and people. And now, Eamon, I suppose we're talking about the conference this morning, and I suppose some people will be saying, ah, that might not be really for me. Who would you say should attend this conference in Turles? Well, first of all, just to say that everybody is welcome and that uh, it is open to all. I suppose really those who will find it most interesting and beneficial are people who are involved in their own local parish community, whether it is in, in areas of ministry, maybe they're Eucharistic ministers, maybe they're with the choir, maybe they're, they're reading, or involved in some other aspect of ministry in their own local parish, or perhaps they're involved in some kind of leadership in the parish, maybe on the pastoral council or some parish leadership group, or maybe the local pastoral area team, and of course it would be of interest to clergy as well. So um, I suppose all of those who are involved in leadership and ministry at parish level will find this conference, I think, particularly helpful. And as I say, everybody is welcome. Um, you don't have to be involved at that level to, to come along. If anybody finds that the, the topics interesting that are outlined in the, the website and in the brochure that you mentioned, they're all very welcome to come along. So, Eamon, just for practicalities, so it's the Irish Institute for Pastoral Studies. Where are you? We're based in the what was the college in Thurles, St. Patrick's College. It's directly across from the cathedral in Thurles, across the bridge from the square. The cathedral is on your left, and St. Patrick's campus, as it is now a second campus of Mary Immaculate College, it's in on the right-hand side, and that's where the, the conference will be. It takes place on Tuesday the 28th um, from lunchtime, beginning at 2 p.m., and it takes place 
also on Wednesday up until 4.30 on Wednesday. So we're there Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, we, we don't have the facilities to provide accommodation for this conference, but uh, there is obviously accommodation locally next door, and the Palatines are indeed in the hotels locally in the town. As I know myself, because it's a commute I do very regularly now, it's, it's, it's literally only an hour up the road from Limerick anyway, so um, it's not, not far at all. And if people wanted to kind of, I, I suppose for booking him, do you need people to, to um, yeah, we, we, what way do you want that to work? We have a booking facility online in the website. If you just Google Irish Institute for Pastoral Studies, you get into our website, and there there is a facility there for booking online. Um, what people might like to do as well is maybe book through their own local parish, if they talk to their own local priest, because I do know that... Um, Parishes are themselves encouraging people to go, and many parishes are sponsoring or part sponsoring people who are attending on behalf of the parish. So that's that's happening as well. And we have people booking in literally from all over the country at this stage. So I think it'll be a very interesting mix of people uh, present and mix of parish experience uh, from rural to urban, from different parts of the, of the country as well. Okay, and just to remind people, aim again of the dates. So it's Tuesday the 28th of August and Wednesday the 29th of August, as I say, literally the week following the World Meeting of Families. Okay, okay. Perfect. So, as Father Eamon said, so that is that conference which is coming up at the end of August. It is the future of the Irish parish and uh, learnings from around the world, lessons from around the world. So, uh, we draw this interview to a close at this stage, Father Eamon, and we're going to go to a piece of music. Uh, what was it? Because you actually gave it to us. What was the name of it? <laughs> yeah, I was asked by John to pick a piece of music, and um, I was laughing because you said to me, did it have a connection with the conference? But anyway, <laughs> the piece of music I chose was Diamonds on the Sole of Her Shoes, which is a Paul Simon, and it had no link to the conference, but then when I thought about it afterwards, um, it does in a sense, because as I say, Bishop Westenberg worked in South Africa in Aliwal and of course that wonderful Paul Simon album Graceland was recorded in South Africa with Ladysmith Black Mambasa and uh, the reason that I, I chose that song was that when John contacted me I had just come back from the Paul Simon concert in, in Dublin in the RDS and I was still <laughs> humming this song in my head it was a wonderful concert and uh, he's a wonderful artist he's on his farewell tour around the world so uh, I just thought maybe Paul Simon would be nice for your listeners this morning. And thanks very much, Father Evan. Right, John, if we go to that piece of music and then we'll come back to part three. She's a rich girl, she don't try to hide it. Diamonds on the sole of her shoes. He's a poor boy, empty as a pocket. Empty as a pocket with nothing to lose. Sing ta na 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 She got diamonds on the soles of her shoes. Ta na 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 She got diamonds on the soles of her shoes. 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 Diamonds on the soles of her shoes.
say she's crazy, she got diamonds on the soles of her shoes. Well, that's one way to lose these walking blues. Diamonds on the soles of her shoes. She was physically forgotten, but then she slipped into my pocket with my car keys. She said, You've taken me for granted because I please you. Wearing these diamonds And I could say ooh, 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 ooh. As if everybody knows what I'm talking about As if everybody here would know exactly what I was talking about I'm Talking about diamonds on the soles of the shoes So welcome back again to the third part of Sacred Space. My name is John Keeley, still joined, in stu- still joined by Shane, Shane on the other end of the Skype line, and also Father Eamon Fitzgibbon. And thank you so much, Father Eamon, for sharing that information for us about the conference that's coming up directly after the World Meeting the Families. But this is the most important part of our programme every week, where we read and reflect on the Word of God, the Gospel. And before that, Shane shares a, uh, shares a prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thank you, Shane. You might share that with us, please. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this Word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Shane. So the Gospel for today, the 17th Sunday in Ordinary Time, is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 1 to 15. And Father Eamon's going to read that for us this morning. Thanks, Father Eamon. Jesus went off to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or of Tiberias, and a large crowd followed him, impressed by the signs he gave by curing the sick. Jesus climbed the hillside and sat down there with his disciples. It was shortly before the Jewish feast of Passover. Looking up, Jesus saw the crowds approaching and said to Philip, Where can we buy some bread for these people to eat? He only said this to test Philip. He himself knew exactly what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii would only buy enough to give them a small piece each. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, There is a small boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what is that between so many? Jesus said to them, Make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass there, and as many as 5,000 men sat down. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and gave them out to all who were sitting ready. He then did the same with the fish, giving out as much as was wanted. When they had eaten enough, he said to the disciples, Pick up the pieces left over so that nothing gets wasted. So they picked them up and filled twelve hampers with scraps left over from the meal of five barley loaves. The people, seeing this sign that he had given, said, 
This really is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, who could see they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, escaped back to the hills by himself. Thanks for that, Father Eamon. So that's the Gospel for today, the 17th Sunday in ordinary time. A very familiar Gospel, of course, the, the, the feeding of the 5,000. Father Eamon, have you got a, a thought or two you might like to share with us, please? Yeah, John, I, I just I think this is a really interesting Gospel. And in a sense, it speaks to what, what I was chatting about earlier around the, the conference that's coming up. I think what we see there is um, Jesus working with his disciples, with his followers, and then providing for those who are in need, feeding those who are hungry. And to my, to my mind, the most interesting character in, in all of that scene is the little boy, little boy who was brought forward. We don't even know who his name is. not named in the gospel. Um, Andrew says there's a small boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But that, that young child was generous enough to give and from what he had, even though it might have seemed very meagre, couldn't possibly provide for everyone, but there was a willingness to do his part, to do what he could do. And maybe that gospel is saying to us as well that um, we need to work with Jesus, we need to collaborate with him, we need to do what we can to give from what we have, to provide whatever gifts we have been given. And it might seem very meagre to us, it might seem very incidental, like it can make no difference, we never know. We never know the impact that it may have. We never know the good that is possible because it's, of course, Jesus that does the multiplying. It's Jesus that provides for all those who are, who are needy from what we bring forward, from what we offer. So I think it's, it's a gospel full of hope. Um, also, I think it's, it's, of course, totally linked to what we do each time we gather at Mass, when we break bread and share bread and... Um, recognize Jesus as the one who meets us at our deepest need, who fills the hunger that we have in our lives, uh, that whole notion of, of, of Eucharist and of bread shared and of there being plenty, all of that. So it's, it's, a, it's a really powerful, beautiful gospel story. But as I say, John, the, the character who strikes me as being the one who is most interesting in that scene is the small boy with the five barley loaves and the two fish who was willing to give them over, to give what he had, to make his offering, even if it might have seemed like it couldn't possibly make any difference. And maybe that's all we're asked to do. Thanks for that, Father Father Eamon. Thank you so much for that. Shane, have you got a a thought or two to add to that, please? Yeah, um, I suppose... For me, it was it was there was a degree of echoing at what what Eamon had picked up on in terms of the the giving of the little and how true God's or true Jesus's you know love and sharing how it becomes much much more um, uh, you know in 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 and and of benefit to such a wider group of people was one of the things that struck me about it, and in particular it was that reference actually to barley loaf, because um, and two small fish is how it's described. And um, five barley loaves, sorry, and two small fish. And the interesting thing about that is that the barley loaf, I suppose, was very much the bread of the poor. Um, very much, uh, you know, because if you if you were rich, you could afford wheat and ground wheat. Um, and it was very much a symbol of, of poor and poverty. And something, I suppose, that, you know, Jesus was reaching out to somebody who was who was 
you know, on the edge. But was because, despite the fact that they were so poor and they were on the edge, they were generous in, in sharing because they probably knew what it was uh, not to have. Um, and, of course, the other thing, of course, that strikes you about this gospel, and, you know, John, this is John's account of, of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, uh, it, it appears in the other, some of the other synoptics as well, is, of course, that it is, I suppose, the symbolism so much for the generosity of, of God. And, as Eamon said, if we are giving the little that we can, that we're called on to give, to be, you know, part of the community, to be part of, for example, the parish, just linking back to what we were discussing in the second part of the program. You know, um, that call, that, that each of us is asked to give a little, and how much more when we meet the generosity of God, that it can be, you know, magnified to such an extent. Like, you know, they, they had, they, they, it was, the, the, the miracle, I suppose, was that the people were fed and there was lots left over. Um, you know, and the fact that God's generosity is just so magnanimous and so unstinting and so generous. And it, it's, it's something for us, I suppose, to think about. Because for many people, I suppose, it's this idea that God is a man with a big beard and a big ledger and he's keeping track of everything that we do. And I suppose for, for some of us, we have to remind ourselves that, okay, that, you know, it's, it, he's a God of love and compassion. And what we're and he's always there waiting for us to turn back to him. You know, it's something we pick up again and again on the program. You know, God doesn't turn away from us, we turn away from God. And he is always next to us, waiting for us to turn back to him again and again. And and that call to turn back is I suppose one of the things that we have to re emphasize again and again to people that you know, we 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 he's waiting for us. Mother Teresa had, um, if, you visit a cha- if you visit a chapel of the missionaries of charity, they would generally have a crucifix or a crucifixion scene painted on the wall of the charity. And under it, they'll have the words, I thirst, which, of course, were Jesus' words from the cross. And that is kind of one of the things that epitomizes. They're trying to slake the thirst of Jesus. That's what the missionaries of charity do. But it's that thirst of God for us that longing he has for us to come back to him. And that, for me, I suppose, is one of the things that came out on this Sunday's Gospel, that this example of the generosity of God that's there for us if we want to respond. You know, there's no coercion. There's no one going to stand over you and give you the belt of a crozier. You know, there's no one going to read you from the altar if you don't do it. But it's for us to be able to experience and learn and unlearn maybe the bad habits and bad understandings we have about our relationship with God and our relationship and our relationships with community and our relationships with church that we are needed we need to think about. Because you know, Jesus was responding to the needs of the community that was around him at that time. You know, and while you know they were they were impressed by the signs that he worked, it wasn't through the miracles of the curing of the people and driving out the demons that's recounted for us in this Sunday's Gospel, it's actually something much more basic. He fed them, you know? I heard a wonderful interpretation of that Gospel story, and it's one of many interpretations, but somebody that said that the miracle was, in fact, that all the people who were gathered there, in fact, they had food, that people had brought it themselves, and they had individually brought some food but that they weren't inclined to share it, that, they, that people, whatever they had, they were keeping to themselves, and they weren't willing to say that they had brought some bread along with them. But the little boy that came forward, 
by handing over what he had, it almost raised an awareness in everybody else that, you know what, there's plenty here among us if we can all share. And that mm. suddenly people started taking out what they had and sharing with their neighbor, and it almost ended up as a feast. Well, as Shane says, there was more than enough, and there was lots left over, and there was plenty for everyone. I think it's, it's, it's an interpretation I like because I think it's, it's a good metaphor for the world today. Um, I mean, Shane knows far better than I do the needs of the third world and the needs of, of um, people who are most marginalized in our, our world and in our societies. And yet there is more than enough to go around if we could find a way of, of sharing, if we, could, if we could have the spirit of that small child um, in just handing mm. over what we have and saying, I have this to offer. And then suddenly we find that in fact there's enough to go around. And actually, I think that that's a very important point as well, because it's also a gospel. Eamon said it's a gospel of hope. And I think that's, that's an important point, that no matter how little <clears throat> you think your contribution is in the world of challenges that we have today, it's a reminder for us not to despair. And I think that's something we need to remind ourselves again and again when we listen to the Sunday Gospels. It's a message of hope. No matter what, how banana things sound in terms of what presidents say this or Brexit does that or all the rest of it, it's for us to remain hopeful. Thanks for that. Now, the, the, just, just a little thought that I had myself there um, on the Gospel this week. That line, um, pick up the pieces left over so that nothing gets wasted. And the idea that I got from that was that there was a little boy, again, as Father Eamon said, he had a gift which a lot of people thought was insignificant, bearing in mind the problem, five loaves and two fish. But you see what Jesus done with it. Jesus multiplied it and he done so much with it. And the thought came to me that we are also given gifts by God uh, to help out others. And I couldn't help but thinking there when Father Amy was speaking about the, about the parish, to help out our parish. And sometimes we think, ah, oh, I should have not good enough, you know, and there's people better than me and can do this and can that. We don't know that. I think maybe... Maybe we might reflect this week after after just listening to the Father Am, and then maybe the thought comes into my mind: What are we going to do in regard to helping out our parish? And it might just be that the little thing that we've got, whatever that might be, might be just that the parish might need. So maybe it might be an idea, maybe to as part of our prayer this week, just to ask the Lord to lead us into helping Him to carry out His plan, especially for our own parish. Now, at the same, after saying that now, it's about time to go uh, just in a minute. But before that, Father Eamon, would you share those details again in regard to the conference, please, when it's on, where, and how to register? Yeah, of course, John. Delighted to do so. <coughs> thanks to you and thanks to Shane for having me on this morning and giving me the opportunity to mention this conference. So it's on in Perlis, in St. Patrick's campus, um, across the road from the cathedral in Perlis, on Tuesday the 28th of August and Wednesday the 29th of August, beginning at lunchtime on Tuesday, finishing at 4.30 on Wednesday. And if you go online to the Institute for Pastoral Studies, the website there, you can you can register there. Or as I say, you can also um, contact me or contact your local, local parish and perhaps register through them as well. 
Thanks for that, for that further, Eamon. And um, maybe we won't leave it as long again before we contact you. It must be over a year or so now since we spoke with oh, you. Oh, Come on. Yeah, absolutely. Th- thank you very much indeed. Next week, please join us where we have uh, Maria Gullity and a few young people going to join us. And they're going to tell us about something they've organised for World, World Meeting of Families in Newcastle West. But in the meantime, thank you again for joining us this morning. And we've got with a final piece of music. And this one is entitled Five Loaves and Two Fish. And this is by Colin May. So listen to this. A little boy of 13 was on his way to school. He heard a crowd of people laughing and he went to take a look. Thousands were listening to the stories of one man. He spoke with such wisdom, even the kids could understand. The hours passed so quickly, the day turned into night. Everyone was hungry, but there was no food in sight. The boy looked in his lunchbox at the little that he had. He wasn't sure what good it do.
two fishes do 